after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Forrest Gump once said, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, I just came back from Belgium, where I bought this box of chocolates to bring to staff meeting this week. It is an assortment of chocolates, and there was no little picture code that came with this box telling you what you were going to get. But that was okay, because the thing about a box of chocolates is that they might, while they might all be a little bit different, they are all generally delicious. Coffee mocha, or caramel, or sea salt, or dark chocolate smothering a thin wafer. Sure, you might not know exactly what you're going to get, but you can be pretty sure that what you're going to get is going to be pretty tasty. So while I don't think that Forrest is wrong in his pronouncement about life, I do think he's a little optimistic. I think life is more like a bag of Birdie Bots every flavor beans. Because in a box of Birdie Bot's Every Flavored Beans, there's marshmallow and popcorn and licorice and bubble gum. But there's also vomit and black pepper and earthworm and, alas, earwax. Mixed in with the tastier treats are some rather foul surprises, some disappointments and you never quite know what you're going to come up with when you reach your hand into the box. Now, it's been a while since we last looked at the story of Jacob, but as we recap what has all happened in his life, it's not hard to see that Jacob has gotten pretty used to getting exactly what he wants. 
His life has certainly seemed more like a box of chocolates, all of them delectable, every experience leading him to more fortune, more blessing, to sweet things to revel in. First, he tricks his brother out of his birthright. Then he tricks his father, pretending to be Esau, so that his father Isaac gives Jacob his blessing instead of Esau. And these two things make Esau, rather understandably, violently angry towards Jacob. So Jacob decides it's time to get out of Dodge, and he heads for his uncle's house. And along the way, God appears to Jacob in a dream and tells him that God will be with Jacob and will bless him richly and give him many descendants. So yeah, Jacob's landed in the butter. And he thinks he's got another sweet thing coming to him in the person of the lovely Rachel. After a month on the road, he finally arrives in Haran, where he meets Laban's men and then meets Rachel herself at a well. Upon finding out who Jacob is, Laban runs out to meet him and welcomes him fondly into their home, where Jacob remains for a month, during which he falls in love with the lovely Rachel. And after a month, Laban says, look, you've been living here and working here all without pay. So what do you want for wages? And Jacob, ever one to seize an opportunity, says, I will work for you for seven years if I can marry your daughter, Rachel. Now, seven years might seem like a really long time to us, but it was customary at the time for the groom's family to offer a bride price, a financial support for the bride and her family. And even though Jacob now has the birthright, his fortune is back with his family, where Jacob is not planning on going anytime soon. So he agrees to work for Laban to make up the bride price. And this he does, and the seven years seem to fly by for our man in love. At long last, his time is up, and he asks Laban for Rachel's hand in marriage. Now, in the ancient Near East, at this time, brides wore heavy veils during the marriage ritual and feast, and presumably sometimes keep them on during the wedding night, too, else I have a hard time figuring out how this all goes down without Jacob realizing he is marrying the wrong girl. The author of this text leaves us with a lot of unanswered and rather bewildering questions. Why exactly does Laban make the switch? Did he just think that Leah would be married by now and he's desperate for her to be married? Is he saving Rachel for someone he thinks better? Do Leah and Rachel know about Laban's plan? Is this a day of decision? And suddenly Leah finds out, congratulations, you are marrying Jacob. Does Rachel love Jacob too, and is she now crushed and despondent? And is there not one moment in all of this when Jacob thinks, hey, this is not the person I've fallen in love with? We don't know. We don't know how this all goes down. All we know is that Laban switches Leah for Rachel, and Jacob ends up married to the elder sister which does kind of feel like some beautiful poetic justice for this schemer. Jacob, 
the one who deceived his blind father, now gets duped when he can't see past the veils that Leah is wearing. Jacob, the younger son, who claimed to be the eldest son, now gets the eldest daughter when he wants the younger. This is Jacob getting what's coming to him. He went in for the cherry and the bubblegum and left with earwax instead. He wanted the graceful and beautiful Rachel and instead got the dim-eyed Leah. And now, to get and keep what he wants, he will have to work for another seven years. That is quite the disappointment. Quite the unforeseen turn of events for Jacob. But life is like that, isn't it? We have so many expectations, so many hopes, so many dreams, and sometimes they pan out, and sometimes they don't. You dream of spending retirement traveling all over the world with your spouse. And then two years after retiring, the one you love is diagnosed with cancer, and you spend the next few years in and out of hospitals instead. You go to school and you, you find a field that really excites you, that you are passionate about. You believe you can make a difference here. You imagine a job where you wake up every day thrilled with the work ahead of you, eager to discuss with your colleagues who share your enthusiasm. And you land this job, but then a few years later, the company makes cuts and no one else is hiring. So you take a job that will simply help make ends meet. And 10 years later, you're still there, a little bored, a little uninspired. You marry the love of your life, and you can't wait to start a family. It is all you've ever wanted, to be a, a mother, to have a whole baseball team of children. And then one year goes by, and another. And at first, you can pass it off to people by saying, oh, we're just enjoying being with the two of us for now. But soon, people start looking at you with pity, and you dread going to family Christmas because you know your aunt is going to ask, why haven't you given my sister a grandbaby yet? And that money that you were going to spend on a house is now being spent on every possible procedure to help you get pregnant. You've been dating someone for a while now, and you think this one might finally be the one. But then one day, she tells you she's interested in someone else, and that's the end of that. We understand disappointment. We are aware of the futility of making plans. Life is not a box of chocolates, dear Forrest. Life is far more chaotic, much more a mixed bag, decidedly less sweet. Even when Jacob does manage to marry Rachel, the struggle does not end for this family, which is hardly surprising given that Jacob marries two sisters and likes one better. 
A bitter rivalry dominates the sister's relationship, exacerbated when Leah becomes pregnant and Rachel does not. And then Leah becomes pregnant again and again and again. And then when Rachel finally does become pregnant, her children end up being Jacob's favorites, which leads to another bitter rivalry, which leads to all of these brothers ganging up on Rachel's son, Joseph. And well, we'll see how that story plays out next week. And it's hard when, when looking at the mess that is Jacob's family to see where and how God is at work in the midst of this. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot to hope for here. But we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing how the story plays out. We know what happens in the end. We know that Jacob does end up marrying the girl he loves. We know that Leah, unloved and in anguish, is blessed by God with children. We know that God hears Rachel's cries too and does give her children. We know that Joseph, Rachel's son, ends up saving an entire nation from starvation. We know that Jacob moves his whole family to Egypt and the, the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, grow in number. We know that God brings the Israelites to a promised land. And we know that many, many years after Jacob is gone, after Rachel and Leah and their children are just names in a story, we know that a baby is born who will save the world. And this child is a descendant, not of the sons of Rachel, the one who was best loved, but of Leah, the one with dim eyes, the one who could never compare, the one that Jacob didn't want to marry, the one who was destined for a life of disappointment and struggle. Through Jacob's disappointment, through the trickery and treachery of Laban, a line of descendants is born from which would come the Son of God. Everything a part of God's plan. Everything a part of the long story of salvation and redemption. A storyline dotted with delight and disappointment, but never, to God, a surprise. There is much in life we cannot depend on. Plans that fall through, hopes that don't pan out. But we can depend on this. We serve a faithful God who knows the plans he has for his world, for his people, for you and me. He knows how all things hold together, how the events of today will affect tomorrow or the next day or a day 30 years from now. He has set his creation spinning on a course not towards disappointment, but shalom, 
not towards despair, but hope. Not towards destruction, but restoration. And the God who holds all things together holds us with our individual moments of delight and disappointment. He holds us so that the disappointment doesn't leave us crippled. He holds us so that though we may weep for the night or for many nights, one day morning does come. He holds us and so through the tears we are yet reminded of beauty and goodness and grace. He holds us and so our lives are yet filled with good gifts, with blessings, with so many things that bring us delight and joy. As creation spins towards shalom, God enters our own personal stories to bring us shalom in the present, even if that shalom is as simple as the gift of faith that says, this is not the end of this. And that faith tells us that the end of our story takes place at another wedding feast where we, the bride of Christ, stand before our Savior, not beneath heavy veils, but clothed in his righteousness, fully known, fully loved by our God. And at this feast, every morsel is good and sweet. So may this be the hope that we lean on when we are handed another disappointment. May this be the truth that we dare to whisper in the face of another heartache. May we know, as the Apostle Paul says, that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If God is for us, who can be against? We will feast with our God. We will feast in the house of Zion. And it will be sweet indeed. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord God, help us to trust that you hold us in the palm of your hand. May we know your presence, know your power, know your peace, so that the disappointments of this life might not undo us, but be yet another occasion in which we declare our hope is in Christ and him alone. May we, your people, be your hands in this world, holding each other up, comforting those who mourn, bearing with those who wait, welcoming those who seek. Gather us up, O oh God. We long for the day when we will dwell with you at your banquet feast. So come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.